Hi, my name is Michael Frank, and this is the Prefab Pod presented by Prefab Review, where we interview leading people and companies in the prefab housing industry. Today, we're speaking with Sam Rubin of Mighty Buildings, a company that makes uh, small homes need to use out of California. Welcome, Sam. Ah, thank you, Michael. It's great for the opportunity to be here. Uh, so I'm definitely excited to uh, learn more about your company. But first, I was just hoping to learn a bit, little bit more about you. How did you get into this business? Well, I, before Mighty Buildings, was working as a sustainability consultant, um, having gone to Presidio Graduate School uh, here in the Bay Area, which was one of the first programs in the world to center the entire curriculum around systems thinking and sustainability. And so I'd been working with organizations, helping them optimize their impacts while also optimizing, uh, so impacts both in terms of sustainability, so environmental and social, as well as the impacts to the bottom line. So looking at everything from building envelopes to HVAC systems, LEDs to what's it mean to move a garbage can 10 feet? And what's the impact on the waste disposal and recycling rates that way? And so it's been a really, really exciting journey and connected with my, my fellow co-founders who were originally at the time based out of Singapore and had seen how they build there, in which in Singapore, they rebuild, the government owns all the housing. So they rebuild it every, uh, every 10 to 20 uh, years or tw every 20 to 30 years with the latest and greatest. And so they'd come here and they'd see how that we're still building for the most part using technologies 100, 200 years old and it just kind of blew their mind. Um, and then for me, in terms of 3D printing, and this is where it becomes obvious just how big a nerd I really am. Um, I've been in love with 3D printing ever since I realized that Star Trek replicators were just atomic level 3D printing with energy modulation. Uh, and so as a, my capstone, as part of my capstone for my MBA, me and my team developed a business plan to take uncontaminated plastic hospital waste and convert it into 3D printer filament. And so when my my uh, co-founders connected with a former classmate of mine who they'd worked with when she was at Indiegogo, uh, so they reached out to her to find out someone who could help them with the sustainability and the, the regulatory side of things. And she posted on one of our alumni Facebook pages. And I, I happened to reply. I think I may have actually even suggested a another classmate who had been an advisor at my capstone, but I think he'd already taken a job at like Hitachi Smart Cities or something. And then I, I met with our CEO, Slava, and he shared the idea with me and the vision and just, it made sense. And it was already clear to me that the world needs a better way to build, both in terms of solving the housing crisis, but also doing so in a way that doesn't exacerbate the climate crisis. And so when he shared the vision that they had and the technology that was in development, it it clicked. And so I was really excited to, to join and have been leading our compliance and certification as well as our sustainability efforts ever since. And so uh, we, I'm sure we can, we'll get into the regulatory side of things a bit more because obviously with 3D printing, it's a, it's a new space. And the building codes are literally written in blood. So it's imperative that we uh, we demonstrate that safety and code compliance. And we can talk about that in a bit. Yeah, totally. Uh, just uh, before we do, uh, can you explain, um, and you can go to uh, the Mighty Buildings website, mightybuildings.com to see some examples. But can you explain like at, at your core what you do? Yeah. So what we do is we 3D print houses. Um, we've been moving incrementally in how much of the units are 3D printed. Again, given the conservative nature of building regulators, just to make it as easy as possible at each step to say yes, as we continue to build out our testing portfolio to demonstrate compliance and further use cases. Um, but what we do is we've developed a three unique material. It's a, a thermoset composite. So people are probably many people are familiar with Corian uh, by DuPont, which has been used as cladding and countertops since the 60s. And it's a similar class of material. So it's effectively a synthetic stone uh, without silica. But what we've done is we've developed a unique formulation and a unique production process that allows us to 3D print it. And what that means is that we use light to cure it. And so the, it allows us to print an entire 350 square foot 
uh, studio shell in less than 24 hours. And so that's something we already have the ability to do. We're not delivering those units yet, again, uh, because of the regulatory side of things, but we will have that ability uh, in short order based on the introduction of 3D printing into the building, into the 2021 Air National Residential Code as a part of Appendix AW, which is based on the new UL3401 standard, which we are the first and only company so far in technology certified under, and which was developed as a as a result of the process that UL went through in evaluating our technology for code compliance. And so with the 3D printing, with the light, what that means is the material cures quickly enough that it can support its own weight, which means that not only can we print the floors and the walls, but we also have the opportunity to print the roof and also and other unsupported spans. And it also allows us to have the ability to do uh, freeform design and bring more organic shapes into, into construction. And that's something we hint at with the curved wall on our ADU, on the ADUs that we're delivering currently, but something we're looking forward to continue to develop uh, into what our end goal, which is really to be a tool for industry and really be a production as a service platform uh, to allow builders and developers to do more given the constraints that we're seeing on the material supply chain and on the labor force across the construction industry more broadly. Got it. That makes sense. And um, in terms of what you make, right, like you're basically making ADUs in small homes in California exclusively right now? Yeah. So our initial uh, market has been accessory dwelling units and going direct to consumers. And the reason we chose the ADU market and it, as, our, as our beachhead and kind of our starting point what is the changes in state law starting uh, in 2016 that went into effect in 2017, which really streamlined it? And the simple fact that because of their size, ADUs are relatively somewhat cost prohibitive for most builders and developers, unless they're doing many of them at, at the same time, uh, because of the overheads associated with that. And so what it also meant was that it was a space that we could demonstrate the viability of our technology, demonstrate, the, uh, build out our compliance and certification uh, portfolio without competing against the builders and developers who we've always seen as our end customers. And so along with what we're doing with ADUs, uh, last month we actually also announced our first B2B project, uh, Polari Villas down in Rancho Mirage, which will be uh, the initial phase will be 15 single family homes plus ADUs. And that'll be actually be the world's first zero net energy 3D printed community. And there's, we're looking to replicate that in a few different locations across California. And But our long-term vision is to actually have a distributed network of factories all across the United States and the world where we have uh, demand and where we have partners so that we're not, A, we're not exporting California construction costs to other states because that, that's just really silly given the, how expensive it is to build here, but also that we're reducing those logistic costs um, that we're able to take advantage of the local cost structures and most importantly that we're creating jobs for that local market. Because one of the really cool things about using 3D printing and robotics, because uh, the 3D printing is actually the first step. So we have the world's largest light-based printing system in which we can print up to a uh, 450 square foot footprint and up to a 3,700 cubic foot volume, which means that we're actually more limited by overroad transport than we are by the actual print volume. And then it goes from there to our robotic finishing cell, where, where because of the nature of our material, well, first we have a, a 3D scanning attachment, which scans the object or the module to make sure that it matches the digital file that it was based off of, while also creating an exact digital copy of the physical object itself in order to create tool paths for post-processing. So after the scan, we switch to an uh, attachment that has a CNC head, because um, even though our material is really strong, we are able to mill it using CNC heads that are normally used in uh, metals, so like aluminum and copper. And we're able to use that so we can either leave the beautiful printed surface, which some people really, really like and actually are willing to pay a lot of money to have done on traditional materials, or we can mill it so it's a smooth stone-like finish. And it also opened up po future possibilities of increased design versatility, both from the 3D printing and the ability to print different forms, but also the ability to 
do things like mimic brickwork or mimic siding based on how we mill the surface, or even create facade looks that have never been seen before. And so that's something that where we're, where we're going is to really unlock that versatility of design, really unlock that creativity. And so we have a Revit plugin that allows design developers and builders to work with our new panel system, which we call, we call it the Mighty Kit system. It's kind of like the uh, Sears Kit Home for the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And the uh, Mighty House line that we have and that we're using for the Polari Villas project with the Polari Group down on Rancho Mirage and Coachella Valley is the first deployment of that. And that's been the, those Mighty House have been designed by EYRC Architects out of uh, Los Angeles, which is one of the world's leading uh, modern design firms, and also been in partnership with Burl Happold Engineering, which is one of the world's leading uh, engineering firms. And so that's been really exciting in the first deployment of that. And in the future, with that plugin, we're con- a plan is to continue to work, develop it to actually allow designers to work directly with our technology, uh, opening up that ability to do freeform, because we already have a software stack that can take 3D models and convert them into printable objects. Got it. Um, so, uh, in terms of three D printing, is this eventually like so? When when we talk about kind of like the vectors of benefit, right? Like you talked about design, um, you've talked about a little bit about potentially the sustainability of materials. Is there a cost advantage here right now as well? There is, yeah. So we're right now the units we're delivering are uh, type two semi luxury, and we're able to deliver them for about forty percent less than comparable stick built. Got it. Um, and then, yeah, and then in the sustainability side, because we're using three D printing, we're able to print only what we need. So where we are right now, it's about ninety five percent waste diversion. We're in the process of adding the ability to capture the milled material uh, from the milling process and reuse that as filler and new material. And at that point, we'll be over ninety nine percent elimination of waste from that you would see from a traditional build. So that's uh, like two plus two to five tons of carbon. So basically, because you're looking, we're eliminating the three to five pounds per square foot that would normally go to landfill in a, in a traditional build. Got it. And then in terms of, uh, in terms of like your homes, so as far as like, I've seen like you started out with these modular um, buildings and then you, you talked about you sort of your kit system, which it looks like are both sort of apparent in your homes and I guess in sort of the more uh, interoperable stuff you talked about in terms of, um, right, the plugin of Revit and other whatever architects. Um, why uh, why kits versus modular for all this? Is it just greater flexibility? Yeah, so it opens up additional opportunities because uh, one of the things that we've learned in delivering modules is that as amazing as they are and as quick as, as I mean, we have the ability to, with our studios, which are single modules, well, even with our duos, which are two modules, to have those set in a day and fully installed in about a week. So they're amazing for that and they're fully finished, ready to go. But you generally need cranes, and mm-hmm. cranes and power lines do not play well. And once you start getting into removing power lines, it gets very expensive, and you start look, seeing potential timeline extensions of six months or more in order to get those permits. And so it means that with modules, we're limited in where we can deliver. And with the kit system, it allows us to increase that flexibility because with the kits, we're, we only need about six feet to get into a backyard versus need to, the ability to crane over. And so that's a huge opportunity to address a larger market, as well as to demonstrate the versatility of our production system. Because again, where we're going is really a design and product agnostic production as a service platform. Um, and so ha- having the ability to do modules, having the ability to do panels really opens up a variety of design possibilities, as well as delivery opportunities that can be customized to the needs of a specific project. Got it. So why uh, so why go user facing at all at this point? Um, just because you need to be your own proof of concept. Just because like 
we should talk about your service offering in general to consumers, but, you know, coordinating all the different, I mean, in, <laughs> we do a lot of these projects, coordinating all these different parts is a lot of work. It, that it is. Like that it's- mar- <laughs> work than like, you know, just being a technology provider. So yeah. So why, why do that? Yeah, and 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 you're right because we also do do offer a full turnkey experience for our customers where we mm-hmm. handle the entitlements, we handle coordination, site work, all of that to make it as easy and as painless as possible. Um, but yeah, you're right. A lot of it basically was to allow us to get have the chance to pr- prove the viability of the technology, prove the market fit, um, because most builders and developers tend to, like tend to be conservative, um, understandably so. They tend they tend to be risk averse, and so when it comes to new technology. Uh, there's some reticence to be the first mover and to be the first one that's that's taking it up. And so by being able to demonstrate that we can do it with uh, homeowners, it then opens up, has opened up those uh, those opportunities on the B2B side, um, especially and ever since we announced the, uh, the Polari Villas project, that interest has uh, gone up even more. That said, we've we've been talking with some of the biggest builders from the very beginning, and so there's ongoing conversations there. That as we demonstrate the ability to deliver and the ability to scale, uh, those those will definitely pick up. Got it. So um, if I'm like looking at your, uh, if I'm thinking about your product lines right now, um, and I'm looking at the fact that you uh, are, uh, it looks like you, but you're you're also it looks like continuing to expand your product line in general. Exactly. We started with ADUs. Now with we're also offering single family homes, and our goal is by hopefully by end of next year to be doing low rise multifamily. Uh, so, but townhouses and low rise, uh, like three to six story uh, low rise apartment buildings, using our new fiber reinforced version of our material that we're moving into uh, certification later this year. And then, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, your actual like single family homes and your current products, like it sounds like obviously you're saying that your technology is infinitely flexible. But if I'm a consumer and I'm a homeowner, um, like, because particularly for single, I mean, if you're in the Bay Area, we do a lot of projects in the Bay Area. Um, and one of the, I would say not my favorite parts of the process is the design review process and some of the sort of telling <laughs> Um So like if I'm trying to build a single family home, even if I really want it to look this way, right, like I might get substantial feedback. How much flexibility if I'm a consumer do you, do you all sort of so, provide me with to, you know, yeah, for, where, design and where, where we are now, it's, it's relatively limited. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've kind of, particularly because we are operating with state approved plans, mm-hmm. which, which means that we're getting the building permit at the state level rather than and when we get to local level, it's more uh, site uh, pl- uh, pl- permits for the site work. And then also, as you mentioned, design review and planning and plan checks for zoning purposes. And that's true for kit for single family home kits as well. Or are you just talking about on the ADU side? Well, the kits are nice because they have the opportunity to either be certified under the state or with the local authority, depending what makes the most sense. Cause we also do have the ability or one of the things we're working on is that ability to also to pre preassemble the kits into modules for sites where that makes sense too. So that also adds to the oh, kind so, of the, so then that's essentially the same thing as modular, and you get a pretty state right. And then we're yeah exactly. And so one of the things with that versatility is that ability to kind of approach it the uh, the permitting and timeless process from the route that makes the most sense. Right, and because I found kit, and I, I don't know what your experience is on this. Modular is considerably more complicated to get finance than kits in my in our experience. Just because of the the and then maybe it's not different for you, but we we um, we've, yeah. we've, we've seen like draw schedules um, and stuff just be a little right. Like 
there's a lot of lender there's a, a wider variety of lenders we use for when we're doing uh kit builds than for modular builds yeah for ours it's been i mean well it also depends like if the modular is modular or if it's manufactured um yeah, yeah. I, I just mean for like like, like mod not non-hud like I can no, no, okay yeah for us we we haven't noticed a ton of difference yet um but it'll be interesting, yeah, to see how that that changes over time. Because obviously, having those cops makes a huge, huge difference. And so, where you're building can often can often really impact uh, how easy that financing is. Got it. so in terms of flexibility, just because I mean, I'm looking at the homes on your website right now. Yeah, it, for right now, it is it's kind of it's pretty limited. Uh, so, if I want to change floor plans within a shell, is is that kind of a new like? Is it basically like basically only cosmetics, but like any kind of floor plan structure is out? If it, if it's if you're a B two C customer, we yeah. we do have some some limited customization that we can do, and uh, depending on the project, there it's something we can discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a developer builder, there's a much greater opportunity to do that because right. then obviously we're doing a number of units at Maybe a time, scale. and so yeah. more scale, and then it makes more sense to go through the process of getting the uh, approval for a new design. Got it. Um, that makes. But sense. in the future, yeah, the goal is to have much higher level of uh, customization. Um, possible and in a lot of those cases we'll actually be working with builders developers and kind of doing a white label some of them may be uh, custom home builders who who are doing larger projects and single family homes one off and then some of them will be more uh developers who are doing a number of units at once but the goal is eventually to kind of be able to offer that that level of versatility but for where we are where it's not efficient for us to do so yet and then Uh, in in terms of just looking at your existing product line can these go on any kind of found like any kind of foundation? Like I know you're in Oakland, and we've done mm-hmm. a number of projects in kind of Oakland Hills, Berkeley Hills, and right. You see a ton of like post and peer foundations and other such things because right, sort of it's both kind of the style. But oh also- yeah, the, I mean the versatility and like all the different soil types, and then yeah. like like if you don't want to do like how much grading do you want to do have to do? And yeah. so yeah, so we 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 designed our mods to uh, I think we've already have designs for seven different foundation types, including helical and uh, helical peers. And mm-hmm. uh, everything we've delivered so far has made sense to do as a slab. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, we do have that ability to adapt to different foundation types depending on the needs of the specific site. Got it. Um, so just uh, one, I mean, the question we get most, which, you know, is riddled with nuance, but that's okay. We'll do the best we can here, um, is around cost. So like I'm looking at uh, just your website right now. And I'm looking at like, let's say the mighty duo B, which is you know 700 mm-hmm. square feet. Um, if we assume that uh, like you're installing that in an expensive area, which are probably almost all like, exclusively areas you work in, if you're located out of Oakland, but you know, let's say like a flat. Uh, well, one, I mean, I mean, one of our we've delivered units to East Oakland. We've delivered units all across the Bay or San Diego. So it really, okay. the, the yeah, the economics are really doesn't really make a difference as far as the neighborhood we get interest from, yeah. from all over and are able to deliver cool okay but so uh i, I was i just meant like an area if you were yeah, totally. delivering units to riverside county at least the local area labor might be a bit different than in like um say- yeah and we and we and we do notice that for particularly when we're looking at the full turnkey uh we often have are able to d- provide lower est- uh, final estimates in southern california than we are uh for our projects here in northern california uh then that just reflects the nature of the uh the, the subcontractors yeah, like for cool. the site, site work and everything right very interesting but so let's say i'm I'm talking about building like like the dual b which is like your 700 mm-hmm. square foot um, yep, one and two uh, bedroom um how uh like can you help me and i mean you're at you're really good about sort of breaking down like starting at 
prices. Um, but can you sort of explain like what you would expect like a typical build to come out at, assuming right flat lot, like easy backyard, you know, the kind that you have on you know, your site and just like kind of where the cost variabilities are. Cause I assume that like local labor is probably. Yeah. The so, yeah so the unit itself, uh, so two bedroom, I think we're selling, we sell just the, mod, the two modules fully finished, including washer dryer, uh, induction cooktop, right. dishwasher, okay. like so. everything. Yeah. High end, yeah. High, high end finishes, beautiful bathroom, lots of storage. Uh, so that is, uh, with the two bedroom version, I believe 169 for just the unit itself. Right. So and then we so, generally see so 30 to 40. Exactly the module is exactly not counting the site work, not counting the entitlements, not counting any, any of the delivery installation. And we I, generally see about 30 to 40% mm-hmm. on top of that. Okay. Um, and that's where, and so that's where the starting it, like the, so that 255, 500 you see on our website, um, for starting at is generally what we see on average. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of where that starts. So that's going to be more or less what it's going to be for a pretty basic site where it's easy access, flat lot, yep. um, a, a community that doesn't have particularly high f- uh, fees, which obviously now that the states cap those in most cases, right. uh, uh, under, it's, 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 it's under, big under of a problem. 749, right? You're, you're exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, but so where it gets compl- where it starts to get expensive is if uh, on sites that maybe are on hills that require grading that might require yeah, sure. a, reta- a retaining wall that mm-hmm. may require or if perhaps it's a, it's a site where you've maxed out your uh, utilities and you need to add in another another uh, another utility box or mm-hmm. up- upgrade your uh, your sewer line so those are obviously things that can add significant costs um, but if it's just straightforward it's pretty pretty basic and once the entitlements are in hand we can have it on the ground and completed in less than a month. And are you including solar on those as a? There, there, they are so they are solar ready, and we do have an upgrade available for solar. Is it is it is that necessary through? Like, you're, I'm sure you're much more so, on Title Twenty Four well, and all the all yeah. The so that than I am. But yeah, uh, so it, ha- it has to be so at least solar ready, and then the homeowner is required to install solar. Though, depending what the shading looks like, that can impact how much solar they're actually required to install. And it also depends because some of our units. Um, are act, we're actually approved under the previous uh, code, so like our mighty studio design, our basic my studio design, and so some of those some of those var- the variations of that are actually don't require solar because they're approved under the previous oh, building sure. code, and that, which is good for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, that that approval of those ones, so it can, it really varies. Yeah. But yeah, but we we do offer offer it, um, and we are looking at kind of also offering battery storage to be able to take it off grid. Um, because it is, they are pretty efficient. Um, the amount of energy required is, is relatively low. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely an opportunity. And that's, I mean, part of like with the Plyer project, those are zero net energy because we are, uh, both the energy efficiency, but then also the inclusion of solar and the inclusion of battery storage to add, not only add resiliency, but then, um, further ensure full title 24 compliance in being zero and going beyond that to zero net energy. And you said all your buildings happening out of your Oakland facility right now? Currently. Correct. And obviously, like, I would say there's one or two companies that we work with that do a bit of construction out of LA, but most California, right, like part of the idea, sort of the prefab modular, it seems like it's to take advantage of lower lower cost labor pools, right? So, you know, as I said, locate your factory in Utah or in Riverside. Right, or- right. yeah. I mean, that's why we've, like a number of the manufacturers here in California, they're being built in Washington or Idaho. Yeah, exactly. Um, so is, is that on the, is that just because I imagine as you start to, especially like, like we've done some stuff with kind of REITs and commercial builders, the kind of probably the types that you're talking to, 
right? Like margin matters a little bit for like oh like mar- yeah margin margins, but huge, like so matters a lot more for them. So I imagine the ability to right just like have a lower like lower cost inputs um, probably helps a lot in that stuff. So is is that on the roadmap for you all to kind of locate somewhere? somewhere in kind of more a more rural area probably or at least a less coastal area sort of so we the plan isn't we're we're not trying to race to the bottom where we are like one of the ways we capture our say what we're doing really is helping the existing labor force build more right so where we're able to capture significant savings per unit is that we can eliminate up to 95 uh, up to 90 percent of the labor hours Mm-hmm. And really optimize it so that where the human touch is being used for the parts that make sense. Right. In doing so, we're also looking to increase productivity by as much as 20 times. So at the end of the day, we're actually hoping to create more work. And so for us, because of the way we capture our savings, it's not as important to be setting up in rural areas. And in fact, that's one of the things that we can do that you really can't do with traditional prefab and still be um, cost efficient. Mm-hmm. Is that we can like where we are in Oakland? We're in an old Pete's Coffee warehouse by the Coliseum, mm-hmm. so we're in the heart of an industrial center. We are able to find empty warehouse space that we can take advantage of and not need to build hundreds of thousands of square feet or a million square feet out in a rural or semi-rural area that's far from demand and far from your labor pool. We can actually set up near that demand and near that labor pool while still being efficient, and so that's one of the real big advantages. So our vision is actually a distributed network of factories around the country and around the world, right? So like setting like places like like looking at places like Phoenix, like Detroit, like Pittsburgh, like uh, Seattle, and really being able to set up factories using existing warehouse space. So we're not having to build a, a bespoke factory. We can actually spin up a factory in three to six months, um, a relatively low cost, and serve that market and, and create new jobs for that market. Um, so we're not, we're not necessarily trying to avoid the labor. We're actually just trying to rethink what that labor looks like and what may, where it makes sense and in order to maximize its value. Got it. That makes sense. Uh, let's see. Uh, got it and then in terms of actually the fulfillment of your existing homes Mm -hmm. so have you just built kind of a like a builder network um around california uh to actually you know do the kind of unless you have them full-time you know to actually do the kind of local foundation and site work and all that stuff or or yeah so we've 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 got a network of uh general of uh contractors that we work with across the across the state who we've uh vetted and trained and we also provide additional tools to make it easy um and to help ensure that we get first time right on on the foundation every time and and make their as cookie cutter and ikea easy as possible Mm. is there any special training they needed to do or was it just like yeah like no, it's more. It's more. Yeah, no, no special training. I mean, everything they're doing is things that they're they already know how to do. Um, but we've been looking at how to what can we what kind of how can we opt help optimize things for them. So providing like various how to performs and things like that just to make their lives as easy as possible, um, and and also help ensure that it minimizes any rework that's necessary. Uh, that makes sense. Awesome. Yeah. So, so in that regard, like it's, we're looking, we both digital tools, but then also like physical things like what, what's it look like to, uh, to create a form or, uh, have custom form work for, for the concrete that we provide that to make so that it, we know, ensure that's exactly what it's supposed to be. Things like that. And I know you have some details on this on your website, so sorry for the redundancy, but uh, oh, no worries. from yeah. a timing perspective, uh, do like, are, are you kind of looking is the time to build these pretty similar to, you know, most modular and prefab homes or? I mean, uh, we can build a, a unit in about a week. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're like, if once we have permits in hand, we can have a fully, fully installed in, in under a month. 
Mm-hmm. So, so if I'm a homeowner and I come to you, like, right, because like, yeah, I mean, lot, right now the, big, the biggest variable right is now. the entitlements process, is uh-huh. the permitting. Uh, so that's like our end. We've got it. We're we've got it locked. Like once those permits are in hand, we're good to go. We can do it in a month. The issue right. is that those permit timelines are still can be incredibly variable. I mean, we've had permits that have taken a week. We've had permits that have taken six months. And uh, on the six months, some, months, yeah. because mm-hmm. is that just because right? I mean, the state of California. The state technically is 60, 60 it's supposed days. It's to be 60 days. You to get feedback, right? Right, exactly. They have to take some sort of action within 60 days. And so some of it comes down to, I mean, one of the be- few benefits we've seen from the pandemic is the digitization yeah. of, of planning departments. So that's that's been a great move. But we're also dealing with, still dealing with, back. they're still dealing with large backlogs. Mm-hmm. And they're they're doing everything they can, but it's it's still moving slower than, I mean, and from, my talk, from talking with city officials, I mean, it's slower than they want it to be. Like they're not, um, they're not like trying to make it slow. It's just it's the reality of where things are for a lot of projects right now. But they're they're working on getting better, and part of it is also taking advantage of opportunities like pre-approved plans in places like LA and San Jose and yeah. and others. Um, and so that's that's one of the methods that we are we're working on and getting our, and we have I believe either some have been approved or are in the process of and will be be posted there shortly. And so that we're looking at ways how we can accelerate that way also through just developing that relationship with with the local officials um, because they want to get more housing. I mean, with the regional housing needs allocations as they, as they are, ADUs have become so much more important in helping cities avoid massive fines and lawsuits. Um, so there's there's real opportunities. And so many of them are really excited about it. But then obviously some of them, we, we also have to do education around the factory-built housing program because many municipalities and planning departments just aren't as familiar with it. So we actually also provide a whole educational packet that kind of goes into details of who's responsible for what phase of the of the approval and and all of that. And so there's there's also an education component that's that's required, both because of the 3D, but then also just because of the the factor built housing regulations and and the varying levels of familiarity with them. Um, that's awesome. Well it's been great to learn a little bit about mighty buildings. Um, I want to quickly uh, transition to our uh, fire round where we sort of ask a question. Great. To the extent you can answer one. Fire minute. away. I, I feel like we should be eating, eating hot wings. and uh... Exactly. Right. There should be a siren or something. Exactly. Um, so I guess first thing is sort of a, in terms of evaluating sites, um, I mean, this is a, a particularly like Bay Area, LA question we get a lot, which is I'd love to do an ADU. Um, I don't know if my site's like too steep, et cetera. What are the things that uh, homeowners should look for? Um, power lines. Like at least if, if you're looking to do modular, understand where the power lines are is a biz, is a big part of it. Um, understanding what kind of access you have to the backyard, like where if it's going to be built, if you're building with with modular, like think through like is there an opportunity? Maybe you have a neighbor who has easy access to that location through like their driveway or or something. And so, so looking for those opportunities, uh, but then also thinking through. How steep is it? What kind of soil soil type do you might you have? Um, what kind of foundation is going to be required? Is it going to require an extensive a retaining wall? Um, and these are all things that we we help with. Like so, if they're interested and they're not sure, they should reach out to us uh, because our we have a wonderful compliance team that does one of the first things we do is that we uh, take a look at the site first. We start on Google Maps to do a basic, quick understanding of the feasibility, and then we actually send out one of our local partners to confirm what we've learned on the site and look at things like the. Um, Utilities, understanding the capacity there, whether any upgrades will be required, um, and and the viability of the site in terms of delivery and installation. Okay, um, that makes sense. Uh, in terms of, uh, and this, I'm sure this is a passion of yours, sustainability. Uh, we uh, 
get a lot of press releases from companies claiming uh, a new breakthrough in sustainability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right, just like in the same way as on construction, right? We get a lot of press releases where people are like, you know, now we cut to one, you know, one thousandth of a millimeter. And, you know, this is a precision like you've never seen before. Um, so one of the things that we sort of are constantly trying to figure out is how do we like sort of cut through the marketing speak and evaluate what really matters? How would you say on a sustainability process that uh, homeowners who want to kind of live their values, what should they look for? Yeah. So they should be looking at what's, they should be asking about how much waste is generated during the construction phase. Um, Cause that that's kind of often a kind of hidden sustainability impact. Um, they should be looking at what kind of energy efficiency does it provide? Are, what, what are the potential savings to their energy bill? Because I mean, that's all. Because one of the cool things about sustainability, particularly in terms of energy efficiency and the ability to do zero net energy, is that not only does it have amazing impacts in terms of carbon. I think uh, zero net energy home in California saves on average about four hundred kilograms of carbon a month. Uh, so that's so you're looking at like four tons of carbon, like almost five tons of carbon a year. Uh, but then also looking at about one hundred fifteen dollars in savings per month. Um, on average, on the cost. So that's so that's one area. Is what's the actual energy efficiency and the performance of it there? Um, and then should also be looking at things like what's the embodied carbon of the material and the pro- and what's being used. Um, and I'll admit there that's one area that we're currently higher than we want to be. But we've also committed to being carbon neutral by 2028 and going beyond that and really shooting for carbon negativity by 2040. So one of the things that we're actively doing right now is we're certifying a new material that has lower carbon. We've ident- and we're identifying new possibilities for further improvements uh, through incorporation of things like recycled materials, as well as continued strength, uh, improvement in terms of strength to uh, allow us to use less material and, de- and reduce the carbon impact in that way. But then also, what, what happens at the end of life? So that's something when we're thinking about it, we actually have incorporated life cycle assessment into our design phase, both in terms of new material as well as new designs. And when we do that, we're not just looking cradle to gate. So we're not just, or, or cradle to foundation. Like we're not looking to just when it's installed, but we're looking all the way to end of life. And so currently we have the ability to uh, recycle our material, to grind our material up and reuse it as filler. So looking, I mean, so we're looking 50, 100 years down the line, but we're already thinking about it. And in the future, we're looking at opportunities to, to go beyond that. And so we're also incorporating, obviously, design for assembly and manu- for manufacturability and assembly, which is a key part of any manufacturing process, but also adding into that disassembly and reuse. So what's it look like to identify opportunities for reusing the material at end of life? Because it's really important that we're avoiding uh, that, that landfill at the, at the end, even if it's 50, 100 years from now. Yeah, that makes sense. And then... Um... Do you like what are the, so from the use case do you see what are the use cases that people are actually using your homes for now? Is it mostly like I want uh, a uh, you know I want a little more room in my house? I want an office, or are you seeing people doing this for investment purposes as well? Uh, it runs the gamut. So we've uh, we've had customers uh, some we've had customers who are landlords who want to add in, who add an additional unit to an existing rental property to uh, provide more rental opportunities. People who are homeowners who have added a unit to turn that into a rental property and have that income generation. People who've used them as pool houses, uh, multi generational living, both in terms of younger people moving back as well as uh, parents kind of moving in as they downsize. Guest rooms, like so, as you say, home offices needing more space. So it really it really runs the gamut. Got it. That makes sense. Okay. Um, this has been awesome. Uh, you definitely passed the fire round. Um, our final. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. I know. I know you're concerned about that. Uh, final question. We ask this to everyone is, uh, yeah. What are you excited about for your company or, uh, the industry in the near future? 
Yeah, so I'm uh, for us, I'm really excited about this new project in, um, in Rancho Mirage and our step into B2B and really helping become that tool that can unlock the productivity needed while not as exacerbating the climate crisis. Um, and more broadly for the industry, I'm really excited by some of the exciting um, initiatives that are out there, like the Advanced Building Construction Collaborative that's working, uh, launch, either launched or is going to be launched uh, shortly to, to help unlock productivity in the American offsite construction sector, uh, similar to what was done for uh, silicon chips back in the 90s, uh, because there's a huge neat opportunity there. And so it's been really exciting. I'm seeing like a lot of stuff happening through like the Housing Innovation Alliance, a lot of interesting conversations happening about healthy buildings and build and the build to rent market um, as as kind of growing opportunities, particularly in areas uh, where you where you have more land and where it, you're not necessarily impeding as much on on um, kind of sensitive environmental areas. So it's it's definitely some really interesting conversations, and it's great to see the industry really moving towards embracing new technologies as a way to solve the crisis while mitigating those those climate uh, crisis impacts. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I agree. And we appreciate, uh, yeah, all the work you all are doing to push this forward. Um, so thanks again, Sam. For more information about Sam and Mighty Buildings, visit MightyBuildings.com. And you can also always visit us at PrefabReview.com. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you so much, Michael.